All right, so today we are putting our third stone on, and, and it's truth. Um, our first stone was Jesus. It was the cornerstone that foundationally, that as a church, and this is what we're doing. This isn't just about individual lives. I mean, although it obviously it encompasses that, what we're talking about is our church and who are we and what do we stand for? What are we building? What we're building both our lives individually and our, our corporate community together as the church, what are we building on? So we started with Jesus as our cornerstone that foundation we have to have something that is secure, that, that we have to have something that is able to be built on. And as that cornerstone, it actually sets the line and the plumb lines and everything else on which the rest of everything about it would be built. The next thing was prayer. And the reason that number two was prayer was because we believe we have to seek from God truth. We have to hear from God and understand what God is actually wanting to convey to us, that the source of truth really isn't in us. We really need to hear from God and have Him convey and begin to tell us what truth is. And truth then becomes this next thing. It's probably the most important question that you'll ever ask yourself is what is true. It, 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 it's, the, it's the single most um, important thing that is going to shape our lives. It's going to shape our actions. It's going to shape us as a church. Who we are and what we do is going to be determined by the truth that we believe. And so there's a lot of things. There's a lot of uh, stuff out there. There's, there it, it's not just kind of coming at us. It is bombarding us, right, as a culture. As a matter of fact, I think that as people, we're absolutely, we're, we're programmed to seek after truth. We're, 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 God made us intellectual in, in our minds. And, and, and we're a people that, that are always seeking to know more about this and about that. We're always trying to delve and to go deeper. And, and it's not by accident. And I think it's totally, absolutely God's design. It's part of the mark, the image of, of our creator within us, that, that God is creative in, in his creation, and he's created us to be intellectual, to be creative, to seek truth, to, to seek after him and who he is. Um, it's an interesting thing, you know, we're actually positioned in the Milky Way galaxy in a very unique place. Earth sits in a very unique place between a couple of the spiral arms of our uh, galaxy, which actually makes the rest of the visible universe actually visible to us. If we were closer to the core or closer to one of these arms, we would actually be so bombarded by light from other stars and stuff like that. It would make it very difficult even to look out. We have another interesting phenomenon. One is that our moon is actually 400 times smaller than the sun, but it just so happens that the sun is 400 times further away. So every once in a while, those two little circles line up almost exactly, and we have uh, a, a complete and total eclipse, which allows us to study and learn about the chromosphere. It allows us to understand about stars. It actually begins to help us to understand the, the universe even that we live in. It's like we're set in this place, not on accident, right? That, 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 that God is saying, I want you to look. I want you to discover. I want you to understand who I am, the greatness of who I am. That as we look out into the universe, as we look inside of the human body, we're absolutely just um, amazed at, at what we see, the complexity of life, the, uh, the beauty of it, um, the creative aspect of it. 
And so we um, then are these people who are seeking truth. And, and the reality of it is, is that people that are outside of the doors of this church, they're seeking truth too. They're, they're, they're trying, I think, in their lives just to figure out what is it, what's true, and what do I believe, and why do I believe it? And, and you know, that's okay. I think that we're all on a journey here. Each individual person in here is, is on a journey, and I, and I think that part of that journey in your life is, is for truth. And, and, and I hope that one thing that I really hope for, uh, for us as a church is that this is a safe place for you to pursue your journey, that as you seek out truth, that that, that can be done, that we can create a safe space uh, for that to happen, um, because I believe that that's kind of what we're all after. The problem is, is that sometimes we tend to start to look at or believe some things that maybe aren't necessarily true, some things, some deceptions, different things that, that come into our lives, that come in from the culture around us. Um, in John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38, there's an interesting conversation that's going on between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, right? And, and it says this, it says, then Pilate said to him, and this is, you know, during the, the trial and all of this stuff about Jesus and, and just the, the, the prelude to his crucifixion. And he says, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So here sits Pilate, and he is confronted with the, the greatest question, well, the, the, the greatest authority on truth that has ever existed, and he says this and walks away, what is truth? What? What? What, what, what are you doing? This is a red balloon. It's true. We all know our colors. The absolute truth is that this balloon is red. No, it's not. That's green. Green? This right here is a green balloon. That's the prettiest yellow balloon! Yellow? It's red! Come over here. It's green! <gasps> it's red! I know! It's a red balloon! Hey, can you look at this from my perspective, please? Hey! That's a nice blue balloon. Green. It's green. It's not green, it's red. Why do you keep saying it's red when it's blue? It's totally purple from over here. <laughs> purple? Okay, let's just settle this once and for all. Ben, what color is this balloon? No, no, I only see black and white. That's because he's a lawyer. <laughs> Carol, what color? balloon. I think I can explain. Um, See, when um, I was little, my mom taught me that this was blue. But then she said it was red, and then green, and then yellow, and then on and on. Well, I get that your mom taught you that it was blue, but that's not the truth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you talking bad about his mom? Yeah. I'm not. Listen, I respect your mother Thank and you. the way that she raised you. Your mom taught you that this was blue. Our moms taught us that it was red. I thought you said it was green. It is green. I'm smart. I went to college. And in college, we learned all the different color theories. Oh, really? Really. And our color professors, who have 
doctorate in color? Do you have a doctorate in color? Uh, no. It shows. <laughs> well, they can't even agree on one theory of color. So you have to look at all the different theories and choose which one works best for you. And green? Green is great for me. You know, that makes sense. Thank you! That's not how it works. You can't just choose the color that fits your life the best. Red is red. Do you know the word intolerant? Yeah. Because that's what you're being right now. You're trying to shove your opinion down my throat. But it's not my opinion. It's the truth. Hold on, hold on. I think really what we're saying here, Vicki, is we just need to stop arguing about trivial things like truth. You know, the funny thing about truth is, it's true, whether you believe it or not. Interesting thoughts on truth. It's, it's that idea that, that actually truth doesn't bow to belief, but belief must bow to truth. That, um, that, that our own personal preference or understanding or, or ideologies or, or philosophies about truth have no bearing on actual truth. In other words, again, and you'll get tired of my analogies, but we could choose to believe in gravity or not. But if we chose to push up against the laws of gravity and jump off of the roof, then our belief in gravity would have no bearing on the truth. Whether we believed in gravity or we didn't believe in gravity, the effects of gravity would be the same in our lives. And so science and anthropology, history, all of these things in our lives, mathematics, these are all pursuits of truth. As a matter of fact, they all have their roots in Christianity, basically. And, 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 and Christianity actually birthed some of the greatest educational places uh, in the world, especially here in the United States, Oxford. Well, of course, that's, that's in Great Britain, but, but um, Yale, Harvard, um, Princeton, all of the Ivy League schools were actually began as seminaries. Now, they're a long ways from that, and the reason that they're a long ways from that is because of their pursuit of truth and how that's taken them, how that's actually taken them really away from God, because the reality of truth is, is that Ultimate reality and ultimate truth is really the big question, who is God? Because if we all know that we live in a physical realm, and we also know that that physical realm is subject to the second law of thermodynamics, which says that everything is moving towards decay, things aren't getting better, things are getting worse, right? Our building, the kitchen wasn't getting better month by month by month. The kitchen was deteriorating. The building here that we are in, the, the sun and, and the weather and all kinds of things are, are, are deteriorating the roof, right, of the, of the building that we live in. It's, it, it's, it, the, the, the rays of the sun are causing it to begin to decay. You can see little chunks of brick falling off um, in the front where the weather and the, and the, and the, the wet and different things have, have taken their effect. And our building is actually falling down unless we put effort into keeping it up, right? So this is a great spiritual analogy. The reality of the house that you live in right now, the house that I live in, is that your house is falling down. Like I said, the, the, the sun is, is, is cooking the, the paint and the roof is deteriorating. And if you don't do things to keep that in good repair, 
then what will happen is eventually um, your roof will begin to fail, right? And water will come into your house, and it won't just stay there on the, the, the sheeting on the roof. It'll, it'll make its way on in, right? And then it'll begin to, to ruin the sheetrock in your home, and it'll, it'll ruin the carpet. And if you're on a second story, it's headed. It's, uh, gravity's always pulling this down. It's going to continue to find its way down. And so the reality of our homes, both spiritually and physically, is that they're falling down unless we're doing the maintenance into keeping them up. And I think that's a, that's a great spiritual thought. It's a great spiritual analogy. See, science and medicine and all these things, Corey and some of these guys are way smarter than me, will tell you that these are things of discovery. The, in other words, mathematics isn't an invention. Medicine isn't something that Corey is inventing. It's things that they're discovering. And they're working within parameters that are already there. And as we discover things and as we move forward, well, then we, we, our, our, our technology grows, our understanding grows, the capacity for us to be able to do more and more actually expands. But I think that because we're incredibly prideful, we begin to see the things that are discoveries as that somehow we're inventing them. We're creating them almost kind of a thing because we understand that we must have created it. But that's as far from what's really going on. You see, human beings never invented mathematics. Mathematics has always existed. We just began to discover mathematics and how these principles would go to work as far as figuring out how the planets move through the things. And we apply those things to science and technology and medicine and all of that. But these are pursuits of truth. But the pursuits of truth that we tend to have as a people tend to stay in the physical realm. That's really where the world is at because we have a naturalistic worldview, right? The idea in general, not us hopefully, but, but, but that the, the world is, is starting from this place of naturalism that, that basically it all kind of began maybe in just some puddle of mud somewhere and it's all just circumstantial and it all just happened to be. Well, the natural outflow of that is that we just stay in the present moment. We stay in the physical realm. But one of the realities that we can know as we begin to kind of look at truth and, and judge truth and see if we have any kind of capacity to understand truth is that we all know that the physical realm is passing away. We all know that. We all know that nobody gets out of here alive, right? It's just the death rate, this would be shocking to you, but the death rate in America right now is 100%. It just is. So we know this to be a truth. We know, and if we foundationally sit there and we say, we, we then need to understand that, that there is truth that is ultimately superior to the physical realm and to the truth that we tend to kind of live our lives in, which is just here. What really is ultimate reality begins to be in the realm of spiritual truth, right? And so... What does God want? What is, what is some of God's desires for us? Well, 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 3 and 4 says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we might impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so really this idea of as we seek for truth, 
there are a couple of different planes and that we can look for this in. We can look in the physical realm, which we know is passing away, so it can't be ultimate truth. And the Bible here is telling us that there is a deeper truth, that there is spiritual truth, and that really is ultimate reality. And actually, that's why we're here today, right? Is because we're a people who, who want to grow in our understanding of who is God, what is truth, what is life about, what is the purpose of life. And just like that one video said, we are hopefully a people who say, we don't want to miss it. We, we don't want to spend our lives on the wrong stuff. We don't want to chase and pursue things that really aren't worth our efforts. We want to live with the understanding that one day we're going to leave this realm of existence and there won't be a U-Haul behind us. And all of the accolades, all of the things that we will have kind of gained in this world, the titles, the positions, the finances, the bank accounts, the toys, all of those things, while they're fine in their own spot and in their own place in our lives... Um, at the end of our lives won't be our concern. They just won't. Our, 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 our focus will begin to switch. Ephesians 6, verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this is the, the chapter on the armor of God and it begins, the entire chapter, Paul begins by saying the first thing you have to do is you have to put on the belt of truth. It's central to what we do. It's central to who we are. As a matter of fact, that breastplate of righteousness is going to hook up to this belt of truth. Again, that's why it's the single most important thing that we're going to delve into or that we're going to try to look at is this idea of truth because everything then is going to hinge off of this belt of truth. It's central in our lives and even the sword of the Spirit hangs off of this belt of truth. James 1.18 says this, it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, so that God brought us forth, and he brought us forth by the word of his truth. And the word there that is used, it's a Greek word, and it's logos, and we're going to see it in John chapter 1, verse 1, and I want to kind of read this through, and then we want to talk about this, and it says, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory." Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He 
has made him known. And so this idea of logos was, was something that the, the Greek philosophers were, were talking about. When, when, when John uses this word logos, it would have been very familiar both to the Jewish people as well as to the Greek philosophers and, the, and, and Hellenistic Jews of the day even, that what he's talking about, this word logos, doesn't mean... Um, just it means the very reason even for the creation. It's it's the coordinator of the universe. It's it has this this tie into the eternal. It it ties from the physical all the way to the eternal. And that's exactly what John 1 1 does for us. It it takes Jesus and it says that that he is the one who created all things, that all created things around us proceeded out of him. That he's the one who has brought order to the entire universe. And not only is he the one who's brought order to the universe, but he is the one who sustains it moment by moment. He holds it in his hand, and if he ceased to do that, even for a second, it would fly apart into oblivion. He's the one who, who possesses all truth. See, Jesus doesn't just come to tell us truth. Sometimes I think we, we think that way, that he's a great teacher of truth. No, he is much more. He is the very embodiment of truth. He is ultimate reality. He is the truth. He's the creator. In him is life, and the life is the light of men. All things that sustain and hold life are found in Jesus. This is why Jesus was constantly using life-giving analogies towards us, like water, right? Out of you will, will proceed rivers of living water and, and come to me. You know, I have water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. I'm the bread from heaven, right? And even in our communion, we celebrate this idea that he is all-encompassing. He is all things. And we as his people are to take him in totally and completely and to live really in this truth. This logos is really a big deal. So as Christians, we, we, we look to this verse a lot right here, and, and we see, um, we see a, an interaction here, um, and, and Jesus uh, gives this to Thomas, to his disciples, and he says, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus makes an, a, a truth claim, and this truth claim is really the offense of the gospel. It says that we as Christians believe that, that we have an understanding of what ultimately is true, that, that Jesus has says that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and that the pathway to reconciliation with a holy and righteous God is only found through the cross. It's only found through us accepting his terms. You see, if the creator and the sustainer of ultimate reality sets terms, then the creation, the creatures, we have to surrender to those terms. See, and to be in relationship to somebody, we always basically surrender and we give up things so that we can move into a greater freedom. As a matter of fact, when you get married to somebody, you give up some of the things that you practiced as a single person to live into a greater freedom of being coupled with someone and the two becoming one. 
There's always a, there's a giving. And so Jesus is this amazing thing where the very truth of the universe actually came and identified with us. He could have just set these terms that said, okay, and he did. He, he set some terms in there that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But then he came. And he came and he identified with us and he took our place and he lived a human life and he did it perfectly so that he could substitute that life for our lives, so that he could then grant us eternal life, so that our sinfulness could be paid for, so that justice would be met, so that he could impart righteousness to us, so that we could be with him forever. See, he gave everything. It's crazy to even think that the creator, the sustainer, the one who holds all power came and identified with us. He came for a relationship to us. He gave up what he had with the Father in heaven for all eternity past and allowed himself to take on suffering and injustice on a level that no human being has ever experienced. People have died painful deaths, but nobody has ever died the death that Jesus died. The separation, the spiritual separation from his father that had been for all eternity. He experienced aloneness for the only time that it's ever been experienced. You and I have felt alone, but we've never been alone. Jesus was alone for a moment on that cross. But he says very much implicitly that that very thing, John 8, 31 and 32, it says that if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And that truth will have a great effect in your life. It'll set you free. You see, truth and freedom are, are greatly associated one to another. We, we, we live in a world that is trying to say, if we can just cast off this truth, if we can get rid of his bonds, if we can break loose of, of this truth and the oppression of Christianity and the idea of ultimate truth, that we can then live in freedom. But that's not what God says. God says that truth and freedom are, are, are tied very much together, and guess what else is? Law and freedom. In other words, that, that, that God has set out parameters by which we should live in, and those parameters really haven't ever went away. Jesus fulfilled them, don't get me wrong, but he also said an interesting thing that not one dot or tittle would disappear from the law because of what he did. See, so adultery is still wrong and, 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 and uh, stealing is still wrong and killing people is still wrong. He fulfilled the law so that we might have his righteousness, but, but there are still parameters by which we live our lives. And within those parameters, when we stay in there, we experience all kinds of freedom within that. There's all kinds of freedom and life and goodness, but outside of those parameters starts to look like captivity and bondage. It looks like brokenness. It looks like pain. It looks like hurt. It looks like sin, and it spreads. But this idea of understanding truth is the key to freedom. You see, the world, the world says that if we could just cast off truth, and, and, but it doesn't. Everybody makes a truth claim. Christians make a truth claim. Buddhists make a truth claim. Uh, Muslims make a truth claim. Uh, Hindus make a truth claim. New Age religion makes a, Sikhism makes a truth. Everybody makes a truth claim. And the world out there says there is no truth. And then they turn around and say that's the truth. Right? But that truth doesn't set you free. The truth that the world begins to live by is saying that you are what you've done. You're your last failure, or maybe you're your last success. 
you um, are your identity. Your identity is found in how famous you are or how much money you have or how cool a car you have or how big your home is, how big your bank account is, how hot the person is you're with. These are the standards by which the world begins to say this is how you have identity. God says you have identity because I created you. I created you in my image, and then I came back to purchase you. What a crazy thing. What a, what a great difference on truth. And so, so one of the greatest truths that I'm going to leave us with here um, in just a second is, is, is how has that truth of God's word freed you? Or, or, or and, and this, is, this is just true for all of us, has his truth freed us? Or are we still believing things? Are we, are we living as Christians who are still live, living under some of the deceptions of the world? Are we still believing some lies? Are we believing wrong things about the nature and the character of God? Are we believing wrong things about our identity and who we are and what we were created to be and do? Are we in pursuit of the wrong things at times? Or are we really a people who have allowed the truth of God to set us free? And then I think, yeah, we have to look at that next question is, is there some terms on there? If you abide in my word, if you live in that logos, if you, if you live and, and every part of your being is found through the creator, not just the creator, but the reason behind the creation and not just the reason behind the creation, but the coordinator of the entire universe. And are we immersed in this book? Because this book is what tells us the truth about who we are and what life is about. This book isn't an easy book always, right? And, and, but, but, but the question is, is are, are we in it? Are we allowing it to transform our minds, right? Romans 12, 2, be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God says we need new information and that that new information is found here that we believe wrong things, that we've been deceived, and that, and that we've fallen into some traps, and those traps are holding us in bondage. And he wants to release us into freedom. But the way to be released into that freedom, he doesn't say come to church on Sunday. I mean, I'd like to think I'm really cool, and Pastor Mike would like to think he's really cool about what we say. But to be honest with you, you need to be in God's word. You got to be in God's word for yourself. You've got you've to be studying God's word with other people. You've got to be intentional about it. Because if we're not applying this into our lives, then James tells us it's just words on a page. That we're, if we're not doers, if we're hearers of the word but not doers, we're like a person who after having looked at their natural face in the mirror and having gone away immediately forgets who they were. See, our identity is found here. Our identity and our freedom is found in the truth that God has for us. So we're gonna close out real quick by showing um, every fourth Sunday, we're gonna do a testimony from somebody here in the church, okay? So today's testimony is from Chance Hawks, who does, our, uh, who, who does a, a lot of our maintenance work and things like that. And, and, and Chance, you get a chance to talk to him. He'd be happy to tell you about how Jesus has set him free. But if we could roll Chance's testimony, that'd be awesome. All right, here we are. We're gonna uh, listen to uh, Chance Hawks. He's gonna share his testimony with us. Some of you may know Chance. Chance has been uh, doing our custodial work uh, for about six months now. And so anyway, Chance, uh, if you don't mind, give us your four minute faith story. Four minutes to explain what Christ has done for me. Um, 
I grew up in Casper, Wyoming. I was raised by my grandparents. Um, went to church regularly. Uh, about 13, I ended up moving in with my mom and uh, was introduced to alcoholism and, and drugs. So from about 13 to 30, I was lost in a dirty circle of uh, addiction and violence. Ended up in prison a couple times. Um, <clears throat> December 21st of last year, I got arrested for the last time. And during that time, I, I got this question in my head. And I wanted to know who Jesus was. Was he a story? Was he a person? Was he a really good person? Or in fact, was he the living embodiment of God? So me being the intellectual type person that I saw myself as, I decided I would start reading and read a couple different things. And then, then I just started reading the Bible. And I was in a jail cell. And I had been reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I'd finished them, and I got to the crucifixion in John, and all my answers, or all my questions were answered. Um, it was like I got, I got blindsided. Someone punched me and just knocked me to my knees. And I realized at that moment that it wasn't just a story, that Jesus was real. He was a really good person. But I also learned that he, in fact, is the living embodiment of God. And when I hit my knees, tears were running down my face. And I realized that for the last 30 years of my life, I did nothing but put Christ back on the cross daily. And I was no better than the people that were spitting on him and beating him. Um, April 13th, I got baptized to be away. As a matter of fact, you baptized me. And I made my public declaration of my faith. And I don't want to say that everything changed at that moment, but when I came out of that water, I had a new outlook on life. Um, I stopped fighting. I stopped trying to control everything. I, I backed up and I truly asked Christ into my heart. And when I did that, I was a lot of freedoms I never had in my life. I, I no longer pursued satisfaction to myself. I mean, not perfect by any means, but today I have an outlook on life that every single day is a miracle. Because of my addiction, I could have died thousands of times. And the lifestyle I lived in Portland, I never should have made it out of Portland. And all the time I thought I was alone, all the time I thought I was fighting by myself, I now know that Christ was standing there with me in the fire. I know that whatever takes place in the future of my life, which I have no idea, at some point I, I would love to be a pastor of a small church somewhere or go visit Barney in Nepal, but I just know that no matter what I go through now, I'm not alone and I choose to follow Christ the rest of my life. What what are the some of the things you're doing these days, ministry wise? What 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 doors does God opening up for you to share the hope that you have in Him? Uh, I'm very active in uh, a couple different programs. Um, we always talk about anonymity, so I'm not gonna name them. But uh, Celebrate Recovery is huge. Um, my friend sitting across from me right now asked me to help with a, a program in Lame Deer for 
some donations. So I get a out-of-state presence out of our community and uh, been offered an opportunity to work at a mental health facility and work with other addicts and alcoholics. And that is not my doing. That is just God's fingerprints all over it, guiding me to provide hope. I went from a, a dope addict to a dopeless hope dealer. Cool. Right on. Um, any any thoughts? Any uh, any just parting thoughts, words uh, that, that you have for everybody out there? Um, any thoughts for us? Your test today, one day, will be your testimony. And I always have First Peter three fifteen in my head. Always be ready to provide a defense for the hope that is in you. And I just, I love this church. I love Jesus and I, I, I love the new outlook on life. Even the bad days aren't so bad anymore. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn. And now, now we're looking at 2020, the year's gone. What he's done for me this year, I can only imagine what, what next year's gonna take. What he's gonna give me and where he's gonna put me. Cool. Chance, thanks a bunch, man. Thanks for sharing. All right. Chance has got over a year's sobriety right now, so how's about that? That's cool. A hope dealer. I like that. Let's pray. Lord, may we all be hope dealers. Lord, may we recognize and know the truth of who you are, that you're not just someone who came to teach of truth, but you were truth, that you were truth personified before us and, and that you are ultimate reality and you are the one who has given us promises to take us there, to take us to a place of ultimate reality, that all of our deepest desires one day are, are met, not here in this physical realm, but in the spiritual realm that you say, the place of heaven, the place where we'll see your glory face to face, where we'll worship before you and, 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 and there will be nothing that hinders that sin will be no more, that death will be gone, that, uh, that there'll be no tears, no sickness, no disease. Lord, all of our fondest hopes, Lord, you promised to deliver us into those. So while we're here, Lord, in this place that lacks a degree of, although it's incredibly real, it's not the ultimate place of reality. Help us to spend our time and our lives here in a manner worthy. Help us to, uh, to spend it um, for your purposes. Help us to live for things greater than ourselves. Lord, we know that we need a source of truth that's outside of us. Uh, we need to hear from you. So we're grateful for this day. May we all build our lives and, and, and cinch down the belt of truth. May we start there, Lord, and may we take it out the doors as we go this day. May we bring it into the world around us. May we be hope dealers into Sheridan and the community around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.